I'll be reading from the New King James Version. The scripture readings found in 1 Peter 5 through 4. The elders who are among you I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the suffering of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers not by compulsion but willingly, not for dishonest gain but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. I have to say that that's one of the most remarkable passages of Scripture, in my estimation, anywhere in the Bible. And I, I pray that those men whose name will come before these, this congregation as, uh, as potential new elders will read that passage over and over and over again in the weeks to come. I hope we all do, because it really helps us to appreciate what it is and the, uh, the important nature of what we're about to do. Imagine for a moment that you've hit a snag in your spiritual life. And what you really need right now at this moment is a spiritual coach. Maybe you're wrestling with a particularly powerful temptation. And it's about to take you under for the third time. And you feel spiritually broken. You feel in need of mending. Or maybe it's worse than that. Maybe you've just given in to the temptation. And you know that you've committed the worst sin of your life. And you don't know how to confess it. Much less how to extricate yourself from that. Who do you call? Or suppose you're about to make a major decision about your marriage, your, your business, your career, and you need some guidance as you are weighing your options. Maybe a parenting challenge has pushed you beyond desperation. Maybe an important relationship isn't working out and, and your heart is broken. Maybe your business is going down the tube or your, or your marriage is on the rocks. Or maybe the doctor has just told you that you have an incurable disease. Or maybe your faith is on the rocks or some other major issue has you in mortal straits and they require that you have some kind of safe counsel, some, some advice that you need at this moment in your life. The question I want to ask is where will you turn for help? Who is it that you're most likely to turn to when your back hits the wall, especially in some spiritual dimension? What specific names come to mind? Make a mental note of those names at least the first two or three that come to mind. And when you stop and ponder for a moment, you have to ask yourself, why did you select those particular people? It may be because I know these people well. I already have some sort of relationship with them, and so their, their names would immediately come to mind. Or I see these people as experienced and competent enough to give wise counsel, or otherwise I wouldn't be going to that particular person. Or these people are available. I always know where to find them. Or maybe it's because they're approachable. I'm comfortable being open and, and transparent with th these particular people that come to mind. Or I've watched these people make sound spiritual decisions in their own lives. Or they're really into the word. They know the Bible and that's the kind of, of advice and counsel that I need right now. Or, or these people are respected by the people that I admire the most. That is, I'm not the only one that respects the spiritual maturity of these people that have come to my mind. There are others that would put those same people on their list as well. I'm just saying that when you've finished 
your list of reasons for turning to this person or these persons, you have in reality created a practical way to define what an elder is. And if you reread 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4, I think that you will see the practicality of that passage and, and how it talks about what shepherds are and what they are to be doing among the flock. An elder is the kind of person then that you would turn to in a crunch. An elder has the experience and the character and the track record and, and the wisdom to guide and comfort and advise the, the sheep of his flock. And it's good news to know that God has supplied what we need most. I learned early on in my ministry that I'm not an elder, and uh, I recognize the wisdom of God in that. I appreciate godly elders. God has given us, in terms of church organization, exactly what we need, in terms of the spiritual oversight of God's people. And I think we ought to glorify God and honor Him for that. Now, there may be a number of people in the church, both official and unofficial, that serve as, as that kind of spiritual guide, that kind of wise counsel. You don't always have to go to an elder anytime you need help. We understand that. But at the heart of God's leadership gifts to the church is that very special function of an elder or, or a shepherd, as they're sometimes referred to in Scripture. Looking for men to be elders in the local church might be a, a new concept to some. In fact, I suspect that some of you are right now as a part of this congregation, this is the first time that you've ever had the experience of going through the protocol to anoint, appoint new men as elders. And looking for men, again, it could, could be a new concept, but I think that you'll find that, that God hasn't left us in the dark on this matter. This God-defined, God-instigated leadership role is as vital to the 21st century church as it was to the 1st century church. And if you think that first century church needed elders, and it did, to be able to guide the infant church in, in times of when they did not have a great deal of instruction, especially the written down codified New Testament as we have, you would be exactly right. But I don't have to tell you that we're living in a troubled world. And we're bombarded with spiritual temptation every day that we live. I mean, as long as, as your eyes are open, and sometimes even when they're not, we are being bombarded by the enemy. And when we realize that, I think it helps us to appreciate the need for God's people. But especially those among God's people who are willing to step forward and to say, I will accept the role of being a shepherd of this good flock. Just what is an elder? I want to spend just a few minutes on this study this morning and help us in light of the experience that we're about to undergo to see what God's word has to say, not only about the qualifications of those who serve us as elders, but also of, of the importance and the vital nature of their role. First and foremost, the Bible says that elders are exactly that. They're, they're shepherds. A shepherd is someone who has a flock. And you may be thinking, well, Randy, I knew that before I came in here. But I, I think it's important to point that out. It, 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 you don't have leadership unless you have followership. And so in order for a man to be competent and godly and 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 qualified as an elder, a shepherd, then you're going to have to have someone who is, is willing to be a part of the flock that will accept the oversight of that particular man. Now, shepherds in Bible days were not, they were not day laborers who showed up for work in the morning at a stranger's pasture, put in their, their eight hours, and then clocked out and went home. Whatever a shepherd did, I mean a literal shepherd did in the first century, that wasn't it. Instead, you'll find 
especially if you look at extra-biblical literature, but even God's Word describes somewhat of the role of a shepherd in the first century world. They lived with the sheep. I mean, they spent the night. They, they would sleep at night out in the pasture oftentimes, and they showed up for work with a recognition that it is my responsibility to make sure that every one of these sheep survive until the next day. They helped birth the lambs. They stayed with those sheep day and night, sometimes for many, many years. They led their sheep to pasture during the day. They protected them from the wild animals at night. The sheep knew the shepherd's touch. And Jesus went to some length one time to help God's people realize that even they would recognize his voice and they would not follow anyone else. There was a reason for that. There was a genuine relationship between the shepherd and the sheep. And in fact, through long time and frequent touch, the shepherds often came to smell like the sheep. And just so, I think in the spiritual realm in today's church, elders are not merely strangers who are plugged into a job down at church. Rather, elders are people who already have some sheep, who may already be serving as a shepherd in some tangible ways, even before they're recognized by the congregation as such. The process of appointing elders is simply the process of acknowledging, watch this, of acknowledging those who have already been examples and inspirations to the flock for some time. We already recognize their spiritual qualities, even though they may not be carrying the name elder or shepherd. It's recognizing those who have attracted sheep through the genuineness of their lives, through the consistency of their service, and from the authenticity of their relationships. A person officially becomes an elder... When through one means or another, his flock says to the rest of the congregation, listen, you need this man as a shepherd of your congregation. And the rest of the congregation says, please shepherd us as well. But the Bible not only says that shepherds, the elders are shepherds, but it also says that they are mentors. Persons who walk the trail ahead of us. And I mean for a long time and in the same direction. They attract us by their ways. They inspire us by their examples. They show us how to live. It's not just Bible knowledge. They have translated that into practicality and reality every day of their lives. And when we're tempted to give up, they can give us the courage to go on because we have seen them not give up. And finally, the Bible says that elders are also equippers. They prepare Christians to do the works of service. Through one-on-one time with both problem and possibility persons, they help each person find their own spiritual gift. And then they guide each person into a specific ministry, matching their tasks to their gifts and to their passions. I need to make this observation as we study this subject just briefly this morning. And that is, I think as a congregation, we have a responsibility to find shepherds who fit By that I mean that elders in the church do not come one size fits all. A man who might be a good elder in one place would not necessarily be a good elder in another place. He would not be a fit for that particular congregation. So the term elder in scripture is not a generic category of person who can necessarily transfer his leadership skills from one congregation to another. Good elder in one church, as I just said, may, be, may not even begin to make a good elder in another congregation, just as a preacher may not be a fit for a particular congregation. But here's the wonderful thing about it. The Holy Spirit, through Paul, 
zip-coded his character sketches to specific churches. Whenever he was talking about shepherds in the church and about the qualities of life that they ought to have, there was, a very, there was some specificity to the qualifications that, that Paul gave. And that's maybe why the list of qualities that he presented to Timothy in Ephesus is somewhat different than the list, and, and I'm sure that you've noticed that as you've read through and studied Scripture. It's somewhat different than the list of qualities that he gave to Titus when Titus was on the island of Crete. Apparently God intended that each shepherd should fit his specific church situation. Here's what I mean by that. Course, crass, rural Crete was not at all like refined, ordered, urban Ephesus. The issues faced by the one church were not the same as the issues faced by the other church. Those two cities obviously call for somewhat different qualities in their elders. And so there we find the differences in Paul's leadership sketches. Again, the, the passage that you find in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and in Titus chapter 1, they don't exactly match up in terms of the qualities of life that Paul presents for shepherds in those two passages. Notice, for example, and this is just one example, if you've got your Bible open, turn to Titus chapter 1 and verse 9. For, for, the, for Crete, where Titus was, an elder must, and, and I'm quoting Titus 1.9 now, an elder must hold fast the faithful word which he has been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. You will not find that in the letter to Timothy. The very next verse, by the way, in Titus 1 explains why. Verses 10 and 11 says, Paul gives the explanation, there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, who are causing trouble and whose mouths must be stopped. So there was a situation, obviously, in the congregation at Crete that wasn't being experienced by the congregation at Ephesus. It's interesting to note that the congregational needs at Ephesus did not require those specific qualities for Crete, and so he doesn't mention them at all when he writes his letter to Timothy. So without a doubt, the general needs of one congregation are going to be similar to every other congregation. That is, basic human nature being the same the world over. We understand that. So most of the qualities that are named for Ephesus will match those that are named for Crete when Paul writes to Titus. But each congregation, we need to appreciate, was a unique setting. It had its own individual personality. It had its own cast of characters creating its own problems. And so to some degree, each church had its own specific leadership needs. Now, I hope we appreciate that. I don't want to oversell that. But I'm just saying, a man that we would look for to be a congregational leader in, at university in Montgomery, Alabama, is not necessarily exactly the kind of profile that you would be looking for in Bangkok, Thailand, or maybe even down the road at another congregation here in Montgomery. We have our own specific needs, and therefore we need men who will be able to address those needs of this flock, not some flock at a different address. And even today, I think we'll find that, that parallel that, that Paul experienced, and, and, and the reason why he wrote to, first, to Timothy and Titus with those, with those quality lists there, no two churches are exactly alike. Each congregation faces its own challenges. 
So it's appropriate then, in addition to the leadership qualities that are sketched in Scripture, a local congregation really ought to be compiling its own list of qualities that are important for a shepherd at a particular congregation, for a particular setting. In actuality, most congregations will do that. When we start thinking about men who would be a good shepherd here at university, we either do that consciously or unconsciously. It is either written or unwritten. We begin thinking about not just what men meet these qualities of life that Paul has established in these two letters, but we also ask what men would match the personality of this congregation. What man would be able to rise up and to address, along with the other shepherds, the challenges, the specific challenges that the University Church of Christ would present to them? For example, one preacher, and I'm not making this up, whose roots run to rural Arkansas, says not entirely facetiously, I remember reading the article that he wrote on this subject, and I'm quoting him now. He said an elder in the bottoms of Arkansas would not likely command much respect unless he owned high-class hunting dogs. And the reasoning is, if a man didn't have enough sense to know good dogs, how could he possibly have enough sense to leave the church? Well, that would work in a rural congregation in Arkansas. That would be something that would be important. One elder I read about attained only a sixth-grade education, spent very little time in the city, and even less time around business leaders. So if you expected him to hobnob and rub elbows with CEOs, he would not be comfortable doing that. He understood virtually nothing about the complexities posed by urban racism, classism, sexism, pluralism, and, and rampant materialism, and yet he served for quite a number of years very effectively for a congregation out in a western state. Why? Because he met the biblical qualifications, but also because he was the man for that job. He knew how to relate to that flock. He knew how to be able to deal with and relate to those people. But such a man, as good as he is, would hardly be equipped to be a shepherd in a diverse urban church of college-educated professionals and, and, and CEOs like those congregations that are found in most major cities. That takes a shepherd with a special set of skills. The work of elders is very challenging. In fact, to say that an elder's work is challenging is probably the greatest understatement since Mrs. Noah looked out the window and said, Hun, it looks like rain. That's a vast understatement. Elders are challenged not just every day of their lives, but every moment of every day. They were, they were challenged in the first century, folks, and they're still being challenged today. So obviously, shepherding, mentoring, and equipping defined by those words that you'll find in Acts chapter 20 as well as our text, 1 Peter chapter 5, along with the character sketches that you will find in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1, add up to some mighty lofty expectations. Maybe the following excerpt from a booklet on biblical leadership will help put things in perspective. I'm quoting to you from that book. This man says, I can remember as a youngster having a high jump bar in the backyard. I spent many hours throwing myself over that bar, which in reality was just a cane fishing pole, and landing in the pit, which was an old mattress. I was proud of my achievements until one day my big brother and his friends came by. 
they raised the bar. And when they jumped, their minimum was my maximum. They began where I finished. They jumped higher than I'd ever dreamed. And when they left, the bar was at a new level. And I had a new concept of what it meant to jump high. They had set a new standard. He then went on to make the spiritual application by saying elders are called to raise the bar in the church. They set the example. They lift the standard of what it means to be a Christian. And ideally an elder should do for your life what my brother's friends did for my high jumping. Being with them should cause us to think higher thoughts and to dream bigger dreams. The life of an elder should inspire us to raise the bar in our home life in our prayer life, in our character, and in our Christian dedication, end quote. I think he's exactly right. 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 definitely set high standards for a man who would be an elder. But in doing so, Paul not only elevates the ideals of leaders, he also clarifies the vision of followers and helps us as sheep to size up what it means to really be a shepherd. Mark it down. Good sheep can sniff out good shepherds. They're the men who in a very real way are already shepherding and have already been tending flock long before they were ever thought of as as elder candidates. If you want to be good elder material, brothers, then get out and live among the sheep and spend so much time with them that you actually began to smell like them. A fellow named Jim found a man who smelled like sheep. Jim was returning to the Lord from a life of singleness and he will tell you spiritual wildness. He was sowing his, his wild oats and when he began dating a girl from a Christian college he pointed, who pointed him back to the church introduced, introduced him to a shepherd. And Jim writes and I'm quoting his words here he said I actually met this girl at, at a church in Dallas where I had begun worshiping on my way back to the Lord. But it was a stormy relationship, and we fought, and we fussed, and we argued all the time, and we argued in front of people, even down at church. One Sunday, our song leader invited me to dinner at his house. He was a very gentle and kind and gracious man. And although I didn't know him well, I admired him greatly. And after dinner, he brought up my dating relationship and gently talked with me about how a Christian man treats a Christian young lady. I felt that man gently shepherd me that evening. And I wasn't surprised when some months later the congregation asked him to serve as their shepherd as well. It's true that even wayward sheep can sometimes spot good shepherds. But Paul's letters to Timothy and Titus make it a lot easier to recognize an elder when we see one. So whether we use the term shepherd or Mentor or equipper, three models that add up to strong spiritual leaders, or whether we look actually in scripture and and we pull out elder, shepherd, overseer, three words that give dimension to what it means to be a biblical elder. These concepts help us to see what an elder is supposed to do. And then we can turn to 1 Timothy and Titus and we can see what kind of persons that God would have them to be. And all of that needs to be taken very, very seriously. But when we've done that, here's what we have. A wonderful composite sketch so that we can recognize an elder when we see one. This morning, I hope that we all appreciate that elders as leaders in the church 
are going to have no great benefit or effect if we're not willing to follow. There cannot be a leader without followers. And there may be the need for the commitment on the part of some of you this morning to become a part of the Lord's kingdom. It may be that as a child of God, you wandered away and you need to come back and be faithful in your commitment to service to the Lord again. You need to make a second run at Calvary. If so, when we sing the song in a moment, we hope that you'll settle that, you'll make that right. And if you're not a child of God, guess what? We always need more workers. And you need to have the blessed assurance of knowing that your sins are forgiven. And only Jesus Christ can do that. And that's why we bid you come this morning while we stand, while we sing.